0: In today's episode, I am chatting with Cass Dunn, clinical psychologist. Cass also holds a Masters of Coaching Psychology and is the author of the beautiful Crappy to Happy books. Cass and I chat about how we can choose to be happy in our lives now. We touch on the curse of being chronically busy, something that I see in many of my female clients in practice, and the importance of finding your people in 2021 and what we can do to connect even when we aren't allowed to see each other due to lockdowns and isolations. Hi, Cass. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yes, me too. I um, Actually, a bit of a pinch me moment, I guess, me because I read your books uh, a few years ago when I was going through uni and going through a bit of a difficult time, I guess, and they were just such a great reminder of the the simple things um, that we can start doing in our day-to-day life. And in preparation for today, I was going back through them and just, yeah, being reminded of some things that I'm already doing and then some little extra things that I can look at doing in my little toolkit. So very excited to be chatting with you today.
1: I'm so happy to hear that. I honestly, like my books are such little books, but I do hear that a lot. It makes them Um, really easy to read, Mm -hmm. Um, and it's just sometimes it really is just those simple, just those simple tips and simple strategies that you can apply in the moment that really are the most effective. So that really um, warms my heart to hear that.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. I was getting some little ideas going through there um, for my clients as well, you know, I'm a nutritionist, but as you would know, there's lots of different, uh, elements that come into that, that are outside of just what you're eating, uh, day to day and what you're thinking, feeling all of that. So yeah, it was awesome to go back through that and, and get some refresher on that before we get into today's episode. I'd love if you could just share two facts about yourself that most people don't know.
1: Mm. Yeah, that's an interesting one. I think that one thing a lot of people don't know who know me publicly, mm-hmm. uh, because I try to make sure that anything I talk about in relation to psychology is, you know, evidence-based that I'm mm-hmm. speaking to the facts. Um, but privately I'm all about the woo woo. I'm really, <laughs> I mean, I've got six, I mean, about three or four decks of tarot cards that I read regularly. I'm so into astrology. Um, yeah, there's a whole side of me. That's really, um,
0: into uh,
1: a whole lot of stuff that's not really science backed at all Mm -hmm. um so I love that blend of science and spirituality um and another thing I think I've been talking about this a bit recently actually but um about 12 or 13 years ago when I was back at uni finishing off my second master's degree I had a toddler and I decided to become vegan I'm not vegan anymore. Don't come after me, but I'm not vegan anymore. But I I decided to go vegan and I was so passionate about it. And within about three months of going vegan, I realized there was no really very good, high quality vegan stores available. So in my spare time, I opened up an online vegan store um, with about $1,500 I had to order my first lot of stock, had a logo, had a website developed like within just a few, you know, space of a couple of months and it went gangbusters. It was a really, really successful little business. And then I had to go, what am I doing? I'm supposed to be, be being a psychologist. And so I ended up selling it a couple of years later, but um, that was my first little venture into the online business world. <laughs> and it was super fun and super successful.
0: I love that. And with your spare time masters and I know. the little one, how Todd, did you I know, do that? I know.
1: Oh, I was on a bit of a break. There was a gap okay. between my placements and it was over the Christmas break. And so I did suddenly find myself having all of this spare time. And of course, as soon as, you know, uni and placements <laughs> and everything started up again, I was like uh, rushing home and packing orders. And it was, I mean, it was booming. And then I, I actually continued until after I qualified and I was working in private practice. And at that point I had to go, okay, which direction am I going here? Am I going all in with this vegan store? Or, or am I, you know, sticking with, you know, my, My profession that I've trained so hard for. And also it was starting to take away from I felt my time with my daughter because, you know, Mm. I was working and I was picking her up. She'd just started school. And after school, I was packing orders and I thought, no, this is not what I want to be doing. Um, so I sold it rather than kind of hire staff and expand it. I just didn't want to go down that path. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's a bit where you get to that point where it's um sort of fork in the road and you have to decide which way to go. And I can definitely relate to all about the woo. Obviously, what I talk about with my clients is evidence-based as well, but I'm all about the woo-woo things. Right.
1: Uh, so, so many yeah. people are just quietly, just on the downline. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> I think we should speak more openly about that. We are all about the woo. Um yeah. there's a there's a lot, there's a lot there that's you know worth paying attention to, I think.
0: Yeah, definitely. I'm constantly surprised by little messages and things mm. in the woo in the woo world. Mm. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, but I'd love to just hear a bit of background, setting the scene about you know how you um, got into psychology and then um, what you're doing now and that sort of transition.
1: Yeah. So the most recent kind of, like I said, from when I sort of went back and did my clinical master's, I'd already done a master's in coaching psychology and was doing life coaching and I wanted to get that extra um, qualification. Psychology was always my passion. Um, so the most recent story is that I went into private practice and then when my family, my husband and daughter and I decided to leave the city and move to the Sunshine Coast and we moved to Acreage and had animals and, um, I, at that point, transitioned, made the decision to transition as much as I could to an online business model. Mm -hmm. And from there, um, you know, I just, things unfolded, there's Mm -hmm. the woo, like it just, magically, I um, had a whole lot of opportunities present themselves, which saw me um, working as a psychologist on, Uh, Tiffany Hall, actually not Tiff Hall's originally, another online fitness program, and then Tiff Hall, and then a whole bunch of online fitness programs as the resident psychologist. Mm -hmm. And that grew to Tiff and I starting our Crappy to Happy podcast together. Uh, Tiff had then left the podcast, um, and I have continued it, uh, on my own interviewing guests, which is amazing, but that also gave me the opportunity to write the books. So that's kind of the most recent history in my career. But if you go all the way back, I actually studied psychology straight out of high school. I was always really fascinated by human behavior, um, I didn't do particularly well at uni when I first went to uni there was a whole lot of other life stuff going on for me so I kind of just wanted to get out of there and get working so I actually did have then quite a break where I did uh, you know um I worked with in the helping professions in homelessness and child protection and things like that but I also worked in eventually in kind of sales marketing admin kind of mm-hmm. roles and um and, but always there was this sort of nagging feeling that I was straying off my path. Um, and so again, another fork in the road came when my husband, I was newly married and my husband took a job in Sydney and I had to leave my job in Queensland. And I thought, okay, well, it's kind of now or never like, do I, this is my chance. Do I go back to what I finished, what I started, or am I going to keep going down this other path? And I, took the opportunity to go back. That's when I sort of got into life coaching at the time because I thought it was, I I actually literally thought it was too late for me to go back and do psychology. Ten years had passed. Um, But from that, I was able to then go back and finish my clinical psychology master. So I got there in the end um, and I'm grateful for all the experiences that I had along the way. Um, But that's kind of been my psychology journey, long winding road back to where I am now.
0: Yeah, definitely. And it always unfolds perfectly, but it's not until a little bit later on that you can look back in retrospect and have that feeling.
1: (laughs) Yeah, for sure. For sure. I think we have this real sense of urgency to have things figured out and need to know where we're going. And I always say to people like so often you can only join the dots in hindsight. Mm -hmm. We just have to trust that it's unfolding as it should be, even when it feels confusing and frustrating. I think that's been my experience. And it just, I think it also helps when we're really kind of in it, lost, feeling lost. Yeah. To just, to be able to come back to just some trust and acceptance can really make that those times feel a little bit easier to manage as well. Mm,
0: Yes, definitely. I can relate to that after the first few years of business, just feeling like, when is this going to (laughs) end? When is it going to stop feeling like this? Um, And so I've just been really trying to focus on loosening the grip and enjoying the process now. <laughs> so, I know it's a constant work in progress though, isn't it? It definitely is. It definitely is. And I think this is a good segue to get into the first topic I wanted to talk about, which was around um, choosing happiness, which is one of the 10 steps, I believe in your book. And I just love to talk about this because I think for a lot of people, the the phrase, I guess, that choosing happiness, that happiness is a choice would be quite triggering for some people and just mm-hmm. if you could explain what that means
1: yeah i think i totally get that that can be triggering because you know that the people's instant reaction is well i didn't choose any of this crap that is going on in my life um but i really think that fundamentally the very it is the first step in the book the first step in the process is just to recognize that no matter what is going on outside of us we do have a choice in every moment to choose how we respond to that or we we get to choose where to put our attention we get to choose what we want to focus our time and our heads but you know our mental energy and our physical energy on um and there are there is always a choice available to us. It doesn't mean that we're going to be feeling blissful every moment of the day. Like that is completely unrealistic. And that is not what I am suggesting at all. Um, but it is just about knowing that, um, you know, the research indicates, this has sort of been disputed since, but but there is a model that says that when it comes to our our general, you know, happiness generally, not just in the moment, but kind of over time, our level of Contentment and satisfaction with life generally. About 50% of that comes down to um our genetics. Am I getting this right? I've so long since I've talked yeah. about it. Um, yeah, it was 50%
0: genetics. Yeah,
1: genetics yeah, 10 um 40%, a full 40%, our chosen thoughts and activities, mm-hmm. 10% is our circumstances. of happiness generally is attributed to, you know, where you live, how much money you make, whether you're married, all of that sort of stuff that we can kind of blame or attribute um, our mood to, when in fact, almost half is is actually comes back to us, to where we choose to put our attention. And even, I would just want to add that even the 50% genetics, um, like that's what they, we, re, we refer to as like our happiness set point, our sort of baseline, which is, you know, sort of just our temperament that we're born with. But even that can be permanently shifted up mm. because of through our um, environment. Yeah, through our consistent thoughts and feelings. Mm -hmm. The more that we focus on the positive and the more that we shift our attention to gratitude and things like that, then the more that we can actually raise our baseline permanently. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think just just knowing that um, can really be helpful to people.
0: Yeah, definitely. And it's very empowering, I think, to be able to reframe it like that, because how much of the time are people thinking I'll be happy when X Mm. happens? And, you know, relating back to what I said initially, I'll be happy when my business reaches a certain X level of where I want it to be or what I'm picturing it to be. Right. And for anyone else, that might be the house, the car, the job promotion, what have you, collection of all maybe, Um, but they'll always be the next thing.
1: I'll be happy when I finish school. I'll be happy when I get into uni. I'll be happy when I finish uni. I'll be happy when I get a job. I'll be happy. Like it just continues. Yeah. And there are people who are still on that treadmill into nearing retirement. Still, I'll be happy when, you know, then I'll be happy when I can retire. I'll be happy when I can get married. Then I'll be happy when I can have a baby. Then I'll be happy when the baby sleeps. I'll be happy when the baby moves out. Then I'll be happy when I get a divorce. It just goes on and on. Um, And it's really unhelpful way to live you know, when it it comes to to happiness.
0: (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And Mm. how does that feed into, I don't know much about this, of course, but acceptance and commitment therapy, is that related to um, that choice? Because that was mentioned in your book, but not expanded on too much.
1: Yeah, so when I was practicing clinical psychology um, and even before that, I had an interest in what we call ACT, acceptance and commitment therapy. Um, A lot of people call it ACT and it's not like they get really, they don't like you to call it ACT. They're really funny about it. Well, they, I'm glad it I didn't say that because I didn't no, think that. <laughs> don't, don't say ACT. They like it. It's called ACT. Um, and so ACT is a particular approach to therapy which is based on um, cultivating psychological flexibility. Now, if you ask me, from the very first moment I came across ACT, it um, it's, appears to me to be very aligned with what the Buddhists have always taught, mm-hmm. and um, which is about acceptance and letting go but essentially those it had it the model is that there are these six pillars and if we focus on these six kind of pillars then the more likely we are to have psychological flexibility which increases our resilience and our satisfaction and contentment with life and of those six pillars one of them is contact with the present moment which is essentially mindfulness you know it's just being in the moment in the now and another one is acceptance which is letting go of the need for anything to be different. So that that kind of coming back to now and, um, you know, being willing to accept things as they are in this moment and just being present, uh, yeah, definitely integral in the ACT kind of philosophy and approach to alleviating psychological suffering.
0: Yeah. And what are the other, is it another four pillars? Yeah, there were four more. So um,
1: contact with the present moment and acceptance. The other one is diffusion. Again, diffusion from is just, uh, they call it cognitive diffusion. I would call it unhooking from your thoughts, you know, unhooking from your thinking mind in a mindfulness kind of approach. You can see all of the alignment to, you know, mindfulness and Buddhist philosophy. So unhooking. So diffusing just means not being so hooked up in your thinking mind and believing everything you think and stewing on all of the stuff that's in your head. You know how we can get, we get so kind of immersed in our thoughts and we believe everything we think and we can really go down a, Path to misery very quickly so diffusion is extricating ourselves from that kind of thinking process so diffusion and self as context I don't know why they put all these really complicated you know psychological jargon on stuff self as context as opposed to self as content so again that's when you are overly identified with your experience self as context really just means that capacity to be able to step outside and observe your experience to witness your experience it's almost like a transcendence again it's a it's a little bit spiritual you know it's like that part of you that can step outside yourself and observe your experience with a bit more openness and spaciousness and to recognize that this is just a moment in time it's not forever the analogy that I love to use is the Pema Chodron quote um you are the sky, everything else is just the weather. You know, it's connecting with that part of you that is greater and eternal as opposed to whatever your changing moods are. Um, So there are those two. And then here's the key, values. So knowing what is important to you, knowing what is meaningful to you and what you want your life to be about, um, which is something that is really important, but a lot of us don't really give enough thought to. Mm. Um, and then committed action. So the commitment, this is the commitment part of acceptance and commitment therapy is the commitment to taking action every day that is in line with those values. So they are the six. If you wrap all of that up together, what it essentially boils down to is knowing what is important to you. And in any given moment, being able to be present to what's happening and make the choice in that moment to do what is in alignment with your values, even when it feels difficult and uncomfortable. Um, and to be able to step back and recognize that that is the path to the greater good, really. Mm-hmm. Despite whatever you're going through in this moment, there is always a choice to be make, made that is in alignment with your values.
0: Yeah, that I think the values thing is so important because if you don't have know what those are. If you don't know what your North Star is, that where you're going, you're a bit like a rudderless boat, right? You're just going to go with the tides wherever it takes you and who knows where you'll end yeah, up.
1: For sure. And I think it's really people get a bit um people who are new to kind of values can get a bit confused with goals because goals aren't values. Like values are enduring. Mm. That values ideally should underpin goals. And values can be a really great way to help you make a decision in any moment. Um, about what to do, because if I can choose what's in alignment with my core values, what's ultimately what is most meaningful to me, it can really help to make decision-making easier. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. I wish we just got taught this earlier on because it really wasn't until I think, I don't know if I'm late or early, I don't know, but late or early twenties that I was reading a book and it was asking me to write down what my values were and I was like, oh, yeah, I should probably know that.
1: <laughs> we don't get asked enough, do we? But mm. but also different people explain values differently. Mm. Like Brene Brown, I'm a huge fan of her. She reckons that we should have two, mm. like two core values that direct our lives, and hers are courage and faith. You know, and it's really challenging to come back to two, like the two mm. values that really are your um lighthouse she says like that's yeah. your that, like you said the true north what should always be the the bottom line mm-hmm. for you um whereas other people say you know come up with your top five or have different values what are your values at work and what are your values in, at home in your relationships and you know you can go down all of these different paths but ultimately doing some reflecting yes on what those things are is can only be a good thing
0: Definitely. And is there things we can look to in, say, our day-to-day life that help to give us some indication about what those values are for us?
1: This is so funny. I was having a conversation with somebody yesterday who was a, who is a very well-known financial advisor. <laughs> she's. I was interviewing Victoria Devine for my own podcast. Um, do you know she's on the Money Podcast? Yes. Anyway. Yeah. She, right. Yeah. So, So she was saying, if you want to know what your values are, look at your bank statements. (laughs) Oh, that's a little scary. (laughs) Um, I think what that can do, I personally think that looking at your bank statements or looking at how you're spending your time, if you were to look at how you spend your time every week, that can potentially be a good indicator of if you are off track, like if you are Mm -hmm. spending time on things that are not the most important things to you Um, because, where, you know, like if, if you're saying this is the, this is critical, right? Like, it's like, what do you, it's when I was doing my master's in coaching psychology, we called it espoused values as opposed to enacted values. In other words, what you say versus what you do. And I think there's a lot of really lovely values that people talk about, yes. um, but then that act like that coming back and saying, well, how every day am I demonstrating that, um, that can be confronting sometimes. Mm. And, you know, that. It can, but it could also be a really great way to see why maybe we're feeling dissatisfied or we're feeling like life is a bit directionless or we don't have any sort of sense of purpose, maybe because all of the things that feel meaningful and important are being neglected
0: mm.
1: for endless scrolling Facebook or, you know, shopping for shoes online or <laughs> something like that. Um Yes, yeah, so I don't know if that answers your question. Um, yeah, no,
0: definitely it does. Identifying if there's that incongruence between yes. what, what you want or what you say your values are versus what is actually being reflected in your day-to-day life of how you're spending your time and money.
1: For sure. If I say it's really important to me to be the best, most present parent I can be, and every time my daughter comes to talk to me i'm saying in a minute in a minute in a minute i'm busy i'm busy i'm busy like what what am what am are my actions really demonstrating my values and mm-hmm. if they're not what change do i need to make like it's pretty simple isn't it yeah it 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 becomes really uncomplicated when you can do that little exercise yourself yes definitely
0: i agree i think it's great exercise to do take some time pen and paper and just write down what they are, go through your schedule and have a bit of a look at your bank statement maybe and and see if they match up. How you spend your time. Yeah,
1: definitely. One really common values exercise that people often do is like imagine, like it's a visualisation, you know, imagine it's your 80th birthday party, imagine it's your retirement party, or imagine it's your funeral and somebody's giving a eulogy. Like what is it that you want people to say? about you how do you want people to remember you what do you want people to be known for when people are talking about you um and is that what you're demonstrating every day Mm. but you know what do you want people to say about what your life stood for it's pretty deep really um but then it comes back to well if that's the case then how is that is that the life I'm living is that what Mm. I'm doing every day
0: yeah. Yes, yes, exactly. I agree because it's those actions that will ultimately shape where where we start to go in life. Mm. Um I'd love to switch gears a little bit. Another um piece in your book which I loved was the section around being chronically busy and the curse of being busy all the time. And this is a real, um, I guess, problem that I see a lot with my clients in clinic because I work a lot in um, women's health and uh, women's reproductive issues and even fertility issues. And that is a massive issue that I see in any women that have hormonal imbalances and uh, certainly fertility challenges as well is chronically on the go, chronically busy, filling up their schedule, with um and lots of different things so I'd love to know you know of course there are others or certain people that are I guess more predisposed to being wired like that but also you know what what is the curse of being busy and how do we end up like that (laughs) oh that's such a huge topic
1: First up, let's get back to values. How much yeah. of that busyness is actually doing things that are making contributing to your life in a really meaningful way, or how much are we just like frenetically scrambling to, to be doing, doing, doing when potentially unnecessarily? Like, mm. you know, being busy and being productive are not the same thing. Um, so I guess. There, this is huge. I mean, on a broader level, we live in a society that prizes productivity. You know, we live in a world that prizes success and status and achievement and hustle and and you know more doing. And a lot of that, you know, we have to step back and have a look at that and ask ourselves. Like I said, like is this the stuff that really matters to me? Does this make a difference mm-hmm. to me? Sometimes it is. We're so focused with filling up our schedule. And and busyness to me is not just a physical state. Mm. It's often a mental state. Often it is actually the busyness in our own head, which is our greatest cause of stress. It's all the thinking and worrying and planning and what do I do and what did I need to do and what did I not do? And rehashing conversations we've already had, rehearsing conversations that we haven't had yet. Like it's the busyness in our own head, which can cause the stress. But I think, again, if we can come back to what's the stuff that really matters and um, and start to prioritise mm. in a more meaningful way, then and using those values as a, as a starting point can be really, you know, a good starting point. But also just getting really honest with ourselves too. I think so much of the stuff that we can do or fill our lives with is... Because we just don't want to disappoint people, or because we think that other people expect things from us, or we layer all of this guilt on ourselves. Um, I know women who can't, you know, you probably do too, Selene, like people who cannot sit still and meditate for five minutes because in that five minutes, they're already thinking of all the things that they should be doing. It's like just this constant agitation, this mm. constant restlessness. And we have to almost untrain ourselves out of that and recognize how harmful it really is Mm. oftentimes doing less but better will get you better quality outcomes you know we get ourselves so busy that we're actually distracted we make mistakes we um, we're inefficient in the Mm. way we manage our lives and if we actually can just slow down we're not oftentimes we're not losing anything we're actually gaining like gaining productivity gaining efficiency Mm -hmm. gaining some peace of mind and um achieving better outcomes in the end but we've just got to unlearn that whole busy busy thing that we've all just been conditioned into i think
0: yeah yeah i i um I agree. I think I have that predisposition of I could very easily end up there. And I have before. I've always been that person throughout uni, I would take on like three jobs, do uni full time and just crazy, ridiculous <laughs> things like that. Yeah. Um at a vegan store. Yeah, or yeah, my, yeah. <laughs> just- <laughs> things where you end up breaking down and then going, why, why am I doing all of these things? This is outrageous. But I I think mine maybe goes back to, I grew up with a mum, a single mum, and she was always very busy doing lots of different jobs, just trying to, you know, batten down all the hatches, keep the house, all of that kind of thing. So I think I watched her and she was always on the go, always busy. And so I maybe just mirrored that. And it wasn't until probably in the last 12 months, I would say, and I'm now in my late twenties that I looked at my schedule and did have a couple of breakdowns and went, wrote it all down and showed my partner. And he was horrified. He was like, why have you said yes to all of these things? This is crazy. And then I just systematically for the next three months went about knocking them as many off the list as I could. And just because I looked at what my life was. And again, my values, one of them being that I want to spend lots of quality time at home with my partner and my dog, our dog. And that wasn't matching up with my schedule. I was working weekends, working evenings, all of the, all of the things. And yeah, just had to start knocking those things off. And then now I'm just trying to be a lot more mindful before I take on anything extra.
1: I can totally relate. I mean, the irony is that while I was writing that book, I was pretty <laughs> much to, pretty much headed to burnout myself. I mean, I yeah. really I got to that point too, being asked to do more things and speak at events, and you know, it's running my online business. I mean, I, I was exactly the same, and I got mm. to the point where I had to go just stop. Mm. And it's interesting that you say that about your mum too, because to be honest, it's only recently that I've been reflecting. I mean, I've probably thought about this before, but it popped up in my head again about my parents owned businesses. Mm. So they, they worked 24 seven. I mean, pubs and restaurants and things where there was no break. And as, and as kids, we were, when we got home from school, like there was always jobs to be done. I mean yeah. we were we were really put to work um from an early age managing the fam- helping to manage the family business and so it, I re- I can distinctly recall as a teenager feeling guilty if I was ever just like sitting down watching TV it was like there was always something that you had to be doing um so yeah I think that's really important to to have a look at too to see where we might have got those messages yeah there's, there's plenty of other places we might have got those messages but sure. it is interesting to reflect Reflect on. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I, that feeling guilty is definitely, I think a key indication that there's some funny things going on about how you feel about having downtime because yeah, yeah, rest. I was also very much like that sitting down on the couch. It's like, no, no, no. I've got to be writing back to emails or something else at the same time. Um, Mm -hmm. and just, yeah, feeling every inch of white space on the calendar is, you know, why, why are you doing that? Why are Uh, we doing that? Why, 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 why? Um, And another thing I'd like to talk about in the book, you talk a bit about the difference between acceptance or the importance of acceptance and the difference between accepting something and actually just throwing in the towel and giving up.
1: Mm. Yeah. That's a, that's a lot of people's resistance. When Mm. you start talking about acceptance, you know, acceptance is acceptance, right? It's like accepting this, how things are accepting the reality of your situation. And many people feel a strong sense of resistance because they feel like that means resignation, like that we shouldn't take action to change something that really needs to change that people want to be different. And they're very different. Acceptance means dropping that mental struggle of wishing things were somehow different, of blaming and bargaining and denial and avoidance and, you know, all of those games we play in our own heads mm-hmm. and just getting real about the fact that this is how things are, like this is the reality. From that place of acceptance, like once you can, you can be present to that, And a lot of people's resistance is because they don't want to be with the feelings that that brings Mm -hmm. up, if it's painful or uncomfortable or difficult. Um, But when you can actually be present and acknowledge how, how that feels but also just accept that there is no fighting, there is no resisting that this is how things are, then suddenly you free up all of that mental energy to be able to choose, well, what can I control? Like what can I take um, control over what can I shift or what can I change even if all I can change is how I choose to respond mm. you know even if all I can change is where I choose to put my attention or how much power I choose for this to have over me mm. but as long as we're stuck in that struggle it's like that. it's like you know pain is inevitable life is painful really bad stuff happens to people but suffering. That part's optional. And what that means is like that's the mental struggle, mm. the resistance and the denial and the just the angst we create when we are unwilling to just accept that this is the way things are. This is for this reason. I often like to use the word willingness as opposed to acceptance because the willingness to accept, the willingness to allow things to be as they are because frankly, what choice do we have? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, it, it kind of just implies a little bit more choice in mm-hmm. the matter, you know, like it's that proactive willingness, as opposed to people, I think, associate acceptance with something that's very passive. Yeah. Um, defeatist almost. Mm-hmm. And that's absolutely not how it's intended. Mm.
0: Yeah, and coming back to the woo, a quote I heard recently was, "The degree to which you can let go is the degree to which you can let in." And yeah, every time I've come across like a situation or a time in my life when I've gone, felt like I was really resisting something, or and and just playing that mental tug of war of, like, why is it like this? Rah, rah, rah. You know, hating every mm. minute of it, and then just thinking about that, like letting it go. And then you, you're off, so often surprised at how things shift after that. Mm. <laughs> mm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think. Um, And another topic I'd love to talk about is the importance of finding your people. Uh, again, mm. this is something I find is really relevant as well to clients because You know, of course, you can't go around and change your family and who's living at home with you and that kind of thing. But it can be really tricky for people to change behaviours and make lifestyle changes and things like that when they're around people that are, you know, a different stage um, of their life or wanting different things. So, yeah, I just love to delve into that and the importance of finding your tribe.
1: That bit is so important that I went and wrote a third book, entirely (laughs) about relationships so the third crappy to happy book is entirely about really like the importance of cultivating Mm. really fulfilling relationships I think that people really underestimate the power of social I mean okay first up the power of social connection for health and well-being is like undisputed the research is in and it's clear that loneliness and social isolation are as toxic to our health as abusing alcohol or smoking 15 cigarettes a day people who are lonely and socially isolated are much more likely to experience physical health complaints in older people they're more likely to experience you know dementia um to have more nursing home admissions like there's loads and loads and loads of research about that and it's across the lifespan it is not just older people even young people experience more inflammation in their body the more lonely and disconnected they are. So it's really important, even if we feel like we don't need people, our bodies would say something different, like we do need people. Um, what I was going to say is I think people underestimate the power of that social uh, contagion and the social, um, What I, I, the word is not on the tip of my tongue, but like the social influence almost, mm-hmm. you know, the power of the, the people that we hang out with, and how much our choices and our behaviors and our habits are influenced by the people we choose to spend time with and you know we can you can get along great with people you can have friends you've known for 20 years and they make you laugh but you know when you're talking about that lifestyle stuff um there was one study and again i wish i had this right in front of me right now but i don't but you can probably look it up it's like if somebody is um, if if a, if, you're, if a friend of a friend of a friend, it might even go one more is obese, then you are X percent more likely to be mm-hmm. obese. It's like that is the power of the social influence in terms of like lifestyle modeling and behavior modeling. Um, so choosing who, which is not to say you've got to go and cull all your friends, no, you like reject people because they're not doing the same thing that you're doing or they're not as interested in the kinds of same goals that you're in, into, but that whole thing about, you know, that saying that you become the average of the five people you spend the most time with, there is a whole lot of truth to that. Mm. Um, so if those people are not around you, then it's it's really important, it can be really beneficial to go out and actively seek those people, to find those people and, you know, create a community amongst life like-minded people. I mean, it's not just good because it feels good. um, It actually can also have a huge impact on how successful you are in achieving any of the goals you set for yourself.
0: Yeah, definitely. That's been a a huge part. And I think goes into sort of what's happening at the moment in the world, but working online, you have to make it so much more of a priority to actually seek out Mm. spending time with people. Because honestly, if I didn't make a coffee date during the week and a date to go for a walk or something with a friend, I would see my partner and my dog the entire week. (laughs) Mm yeah which is fine I, I love feel that them, too but I need more
1: <laughs> yeah 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 I totally get that too I work from home as well yeah. we live in a rural like we left the city and live in a rural area it's pretty isolated and so I can easily I mean I probably have at that point of my life where I'm craving like I need to get back to living closer to people because I'm starting to feel like a recluse here yeah the, I mean it's beautiful but it's it's really isolating mm. and um and it's challenging because everywhere it's like, it's a, it's a, there is a travel distance, you know, like mm. there's a, it takes time to get to anywhere to see people. So, so yeah, yeah, it's, it's important. And, and, you know, even for myself, like that's just been a gradual process of, of spending less and less and less time, like actually going out and actively interacting. Like when all of my communication is online mm. and I work from home. So it's like, oh, hang on a second. Like you got to sort of, you have these wake up calls. With yeah. You. Oh, actually, you know what? It's been a little while since I've seen another human being. <laughs> I should probably yeah. I should
0: probably go and go and make an effort. Yeah, yeah. 100%. We have a gym in our uh, apartment building, which is great, but then that also meant that that was another step where I could just go there by myself and not. Mm-hmm. So I've made the point of actually booking in and going to the gym with people I know because that's just at least one opportunity during the week where I know I'll see other people. For 100%. Sure. Yeah. 100%. And this is a bit of a sidestep, but talking about the implications of social isolation on loneliness and then those long-term health outcomes, Um, I just, like, with with our lockdowns and everything at the moment, mm. I guess so, yeah, feeling so sad about what might happen, sort of the negative long-term implications of that on people's health and, and what your thoughts are there.
1: Uh, I think we are in such, it's such an unknown at the mm. moment. I mean, we've never experienced anything like this. I know that um, we all know that it's super challenging, especially mm. for people who are in those, like, I mean, I've got my husband, yeah. my daughter, my dogs and chickens and cow, um, you know, <laughs> but for the, especially for the people who live alone mm. or who live in, in small spaces and that can't get out and socialise. Um, I just think that we've got to be, I think mental health services, I, mm. I, they're on it. Like they're. And there's lots more people who are struggling. Um, you know, the fact that now you can access medical appointments, psychology appointments. I picked up straight away with lockdown last year and started, opened up my practice you know not necessarily for new clients but for any of my pre-old clients so that they could access me through um, telehealth and i don't know how many people are aware of that that they've increased the amount of psychology appointments available you know you probably as well we can we can all access support with the resources that we've got until we can get ourselves back to a place where we can actually go out and interact again but i think at our at the individual level it's just up to us to be really mindful of other people's um level of connection like just to yeah. have that community, that sense of community to reach out to talk to people to check in on people to ask how people are going like not just to assume that people are okay. Mm. Um, and because I think too often we do just assume that people are okay and it doesn't cost anything to just flick somebody a text or um, or, or old school phone call, phone call yeah. uh, right. <laughs> um, and just check in and ask how people are going.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's a lovely message, I think, to leave it on, especially now. Like that's that is something that's within our control that we can really easily do. And so anyone, you know, especially not just, but especially people who are in lockdown, like people in Sydney at the moment. Um extended lockdown, there. the
1: worst. Yeah. yeah.
0: Just check in on people because even the people that do have social connections or live with a partner at home or a housemate i have friends in those sorts of situations they're still going through a really tough time for know yeah, whatever um reason you know it affects our lives in so many different ways so yes that's something we can do
1: many people who i i've talked to you know more than one uh people who have never experienced mental health issues before mm. but since extended lockdowns last year particularly melbourne and i'm would you know? I'd imagine the same thing will happen out of this Sydney extended lockdown as well. Who are suddenly ex- experiencing anxiety and other mental health struggles who have never had an issue before. Mm. And that it's just we that's what I when I say we don't know, like I think we just don't know and we can't assume that everybody's going to be okay
0: for sure, for sure. So, reaching out to people, accessing the mental health services that we have available is there anything else that people can be doing? Um, I, I just think
1: some of the fundamentals, you know, like lockdown lethargy is a real thing as well. Like we get very flat and demotivated. Everything feels a bit pointless. Um, so doing what you can do, like if you can get out, if you're allowed to go out and walk for an hour, go and walk for a bloody hour, you know, you might not feel like it, but it's, that's a, that's for all of us, you know, like Mm -hmm. to make sure that we're those routines we've got in place that anything that we can do that we know is good for us to make sure that we keep eating well and we keep getting enough sleep and we're not just sitting up all night playing video games or watching Netflix because we don't have to be up in the morning at any particular time you know just making sure we stick to that routine as much as possible and building those really important self-care activities
0: yeah beautiful I love that and getting the sunlight as well Mm. great for sure for sure Thank you so much for your time today, Cass. I've loved this conversation and it's just been so wonderful to connect with you. So I'm very grateful um, for your time today. Well, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Great. And I'd love if you could just direct any listeners that are wanting to find out more about your books or get in touch with you. How How can they find you?
1: My website is castun.com, but mostly I'm hanging out on Instagram, which is done underscore XO. Uh the Crappita Happy Podcast is available on all podcast platforms, Apple, uh Listener, Spotify, etc. And the Crappy to Happy books are also available in all good bookstores. There are three of them now, and they are coming out on Audible in September as well. So um the, I'm everywhere
0: search to search a <laughs> done, and you will find me <laughs> wonderful I'll put all of those links in the show notes as well and for anyone that hasn't read the books they're wonderful so I definitely recommend grabbing those thank you thanks so much thank you for listening to this episode of holistic health chats if you enjoyed this episode I would be so grateful if you could leave me a rating and review in iTunes as this allows me to help more women just like you holistic health chats is not intended to replace medical advice so please consult with your practitioner before making any changes to your current health if you are ready to take your health to the next level and would like some personalized support the next step is booking in for a complimentary health chat please head to celendouglas.com forward slash book for more information